uh, I think a lot of us are really finding just how important norms and traditions in our democracy are. Um, not everything is written in the law. And as we're seeing now, um, even what's in, written in the law doesn't mean a whole lot if you don't follow the norms and traditions that really uh, uh, give meaning to them. This is just another uh, important norm or tradition that was strengthening our democracy over the last nearly half century that's been violated and we want to restore it. Hello, welcome to The Resistors, a podcast where we talk to all the people trying to save us from Donald Trump. I'm your host, Chris Vaith. No doubt that this year, marching is the new brunch, but these are indeed strange times when one of the things that we're marching for is taxes. More than 125,000 people in 200 different cities did just that on April 15th, the weekend before tax day this year, to demand the release of Donald Trump's tax returns. On today's show, we talk with Indy Dadagupta, one of the organizers of the tax march. Indy is an expert on budget and tax policies, social safety net, and cross-cutting low-income issues. He's worked for a long time at the intersection of all these issues to end poverty and to make the world more livable for all of its people. Indy, it is really great to see you. Welcome to The Resistors. Thanks, Chris. It's great to join you. So taxes are not something most people like to think about outside of mid-April, if even then. But this year was different. How did the idea for the tax march come together? Well, there are a lot of people who sort of organically uh, wanted to demonstrate that the claims coming out of this administration about people not caring about the president's taxes were simply false. And in particular, Professor Jennifer Taub at the University of Vermont Law School uh, tweeted about this. And this is similar to the Women's March in some ways that came about uh, really organically. Um, and then uh, folks got together and organized and found that there was a lot of interest. And I think the unique combination of uh, focusing on uh, a very specific ask here of the president's uh, taxes, recent taxes to be released, while also connecting it to broader issues of transparency and accountability, as well as fairness, really mobilized and motivated a lot of people. Um, so uh, that's really how it started. And uh, there's a different story really in every town and every city um, where there was a tax march. And we even had some one-person marches uh, in some places. Um, but it just shows how genuine and uh, grassroots really the concern was. The day after the march, you got not one but two tweets. Someone should look into who paid for the small organized rallies yesterday. The election is over. Right before inauguration at a press conference, he said, the only ones that care about my taxes are the reporters I want. But the first petition that ended up on the White House website was specifically about this. I think it was launched on inauguration day. I think that's right. And unfortunately, his administration uh, doubled down on this claim that nobody cared. Uh, when in fact, we have a long history uh, since President Ford um, of major party presidential candidates and presidents uh, themselves releasing their tax filings and this case, it was particularly relevant, uh, not only so we could know that there was uh, no corruption, which as we're seeing with uh, current FBI investigation um, and uh, other things going on in D.C. Uh, is a real concern. But uh, the other thing that's really important is uh, it's quite striking that uh, while we've only seen samples of the president's uh, prior tax filings, that it's possible he didn't pay taxes in many years. And here we are having a big debate now uh, about taxes, um, whether it's in the context of uh, unfortunately repealing the Affordable Care Act, uh, which is primarily a 
basically a tax bill that's paid for by gutting health coverage for people uh, or tax reform, um, which is a long-term conversation, but that's really kicking into gear or even infrastructure proposal that uh, as we've understood it to the extent one exists is primarily, again, tax cuts for uh, wealthy investors uh, for projects that they primarily would have already um, undertaken. So uh, there's a lot of reasons that people uh, outside of the media are concerned and it's good that the media is paying attention. Um, but this also shows, I think, the power of demonstrations and marches and protests. And it's not just about that march. In fact, in many ways, the march is really the beginning um, for for all these issues that really overlap, whether it's science, climate, or um, uh, women or the women's march. I think that uh, the tax march, uh, in the spirit of really all these marches, um, really use a very appropriate sort of strategy to. Uh, you know, literally demonstrate how much people care about it. It was impossible for people to ignore. I've been to a lot of marches the last few months, and I'd say this was one of the more fun ones from your Monopoly-esque logo on your website and throughout the march, the inflatable Trump chicken. And uh, perhaps my favorite image of that day was the dog wearing the sign that said, a dog ate my tax returns. <laughs> That's uh, great. So are you, um, you know, since the wild goose chase for the Trump tax returns really has been going on ever since the early days of the campaign when it was first raised. Can you give us a little refresher of what we might actually learn if his tax returns were public? Yeah, so it's a great question. What might we what, what might we learn if we saw uh, the president's recent tax filings? Um, the first thing I'll say is uh, don't think we'll learn everything. To the extent that people have concerns, especially about some foreign – uh, governments um, and uh, potential financial entanglements. Um, look, a lot of that can be obfuscated. And in fact, the complexity of the Trump family's taxes suggest that uh, that's they likely would be obfuscated. But we would have to do a lot of investigation. This isn't the sort of thing where even if they were released tomorrow, uh, one would immediately know where there are conflicts of interest or potential conflicts of interest. Um, but the other thing that we would learn almost immediately is how generally um, very wealthy and well-connected people are able to take advantage of tax shelters and claim that uh, income from work is actually capital income taxed at a lower rate. And these are really important uh, things that I think a lot of people understandably um, don't fully grasp. And nothing could better illustrate this point than having a, a president whose taxes sort of show how this works. Um, and I fear that, unfortunately, um, it, you see this with the debate over health reform, uh, but also likely in the, any tax reform that would come out of this administration, based on the one-page document that they handed out, that um, everything that they would propose would move in the wrong direction, rewarding the wealthy and well-connected even more. Um, and I think people have a right to know if the president is going to be slashing his own taxes. In fact, he claimed otherwise uh, while campaigning. And so um, while you know a lot of us are n no longer uh, taking the president at his word, um, since he might contradict himself from one moment to the next, um, we still, I think, need to hold him accountable and let um, voters know where uh, he might be violating his promises. And to be clear, his original excuse for not releasing them was that he was under audit. And the tax march actually did force the White House to recycle that excuse. But the IRS does not prohibit transparency, even if you're under audit, right? Not only does the IRS not prohibit him, uh, the president, from releasing his tax filings, but um, 
by definition, he wasn't under audit for 2016. So there's absolutely no reason why those filings have not been shared, uh, which they could have been as soon as they were filed, assuming they have been filed or, you know, whenever they're, they're ready. Well, it cannot be a comfortable position for him to constantly be under this kind of scrutiny and know that his excuse really doesn't fly. Is your sense that that means that something really bad is in there, that it's worth it for him to sustain this kind of pressure rather than than have the world know what is in the returns? One assumes that if you've paid the price that uh, I think he has and will be paying, that there is obviously something that uh, either appears bad or genuinely is bad and appears bad um, and or will lead people to finding out something uh, bad. And uh, again, you, you know, the, we really do need to see the documents, but we can sp- speculate. Uh, and in fact, that's that's that just suggests how bad it might be that people are going to speculate and their speculations might be totally unfounded. And um, uh, but yes, they've obviously clearly broken precedent. Um, they had members of their own party and more and more with almost every week or month uh, call for the president to uh, release his taxes. Um, and if they don't hold on to the uh, U.S. Congress in the midterm elections, I think it's very possible you'll see uh, the tax releases forcibly released which Congress can do. It's not just that uh, Congress knows, it's that the American public knows and is able to see um, the tax filings. There's no reason why, frankly, there shouldn't be legislation that requires all uh, sitting presidents and major party candidates or all candidates at some point to release their tax filings going forward. So I'm hoping uh, that uh, just as uh, the president uh, here has violated this important norm that it may actually lead to us uh, enshrining it in law. Um, I think uh, we have just taken a lot for granted in this country uh, about our democracy. And uh, with so much at stake, uh, it's clear that uh, it's quite fragile. I think a lot of us are really finding just how important norms and traditions in our democracy are. Um, not everything is written in the law. And as we're seeing now, uh, even what's in written in the law doesn't mean a whole lot if you don't follow the norms and traditions that really uh, uh, give meaning to them. Um, and so uh, this is just another uh, important norm or tradition that was strengthening our democracy over the last nearly half century that's been violated, and we want to restore it. We're kind of getting a Civics 101 lesson as a country and revisiting the importance of things like a free press, an independent judiciary, and understanding what's in our leadership's taxes, uh, not to mention understanding the tax policy process itself. And you had started to talk about that earlier. Of course, the first demand of the tax march was the release of Donald Trump's tax returns, but you very uh, clearly made the link to why that's important as we enter this debate over tax reform. Can you talk about that? That's right. So the tax march uh, had a unifying focus on calling for the release of the president's tax returns, but um, various tax marches, including the sort of core national one in D.C., um, which which wasn't the biggest but was sizable, um, had a set of principles that sort of brought together an incredibly sort of diverse group of organizations, the particular focus on tax fairness and economic fairness 
fairness, include, including um, racial justice. Um, and one of the things that I think uh, we try to lift up is just how much uh, tax fairness matters for democracy. A democracy depends in part on raising sufficient revenue um, in a fair and equitable way, using that revenue uh, also, obviously, in a fair and equitable way. Um, but here we are in a country that's seriously debating essentially a tax cut of uh, you know tens of thousands of dollars a year for million for every millionaire uh, paid for by stripping away health coverage from over twenty million people, um, and so uh, we were quite clear in the march um, and in all the marches that it, this was also about tax fairness. Um, and uh, let me just say again, um, you know, the U.S. Uh, like every other democracy needs to raise uh, some sufficient level of revenue for its longstanding commitments for investments in its kids, also protecting the vulnerable. Um, you know, we certainly can have disagreements over how to do this, but by any measure, the U.S. is a fairly low tax country. Um, you've got to factor in our state and local taxes when you're thinking about our overall uh, tax system. And when you factor all our taxes in together, property, sales, income taxes, state, local, federal, we're not only still a very low tax country compared to other rich countries, but we actually don't have a particularly progressive tax system. Um, the federal uh, income tax is pretty much the most progressive part of it. But you've got states throughout the country um, where, I mean, we're taxing people deeper into poverty, um, where uh, it's basically uh, the equivalent of a flat tax and outright regressive taxes in some places. Um, and I think we really need to have a big uh, debate and conversation over whether this makes any sense. Um, countries like China and India are making bigger investments in early childhood education than we are, and that takes public investments. Our infrastructure um, is really not uh, uh, comparable to that of other advanced countries. Um, uh, just look at uh, the lack of rapid uh, rail system, high-speed rail throughout the country. Um, and everywhere these things are investments, they can pay off, but they need public, in, uh, public dollars. Um, and here we are. Uh, now some eight years into uh, an expansion after one of the worst recessions in generations, if not the worst uh, since the Great Depression. And um, we still haven't been able to even bounce back. I mean, K through 12 systems throughout the country still are not being funded the way that they were before the recession. So uh, taxes are really at the core of almost every uh, issue in some way or another that you care about. You care about um, uh, racial justice and the criminal justice system. And you look at what uh, the fines and fees are uh, doing to decimate a lot of communities of colors throughout the country. And you can trace it in part back to the complete unwillingness to raise sufficient revenues, um, also to obviously racial animosity and our, a long history of racism. But these things are deeply intertwined. It's the patriotic thing to do to, to pay your taxes, but it's also the patriotic thing to do to know what you're paying for and then weigh in on how that tax revenue is spent by your government. I've read with this recent budget proposal that food stamps, children's health insurance, it seems to be a pretty clear demonstration of where this administration's priorities are. No, that's exactly right. Um, unfortunately, one hope that I think I and many others had 
uh, for uh, Trump administration was that he, uh, on the campaign trail, was focused on jobs, protecting the safety net, explicitly saying he was going to protect Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, um, and breaking uh, in many ways from uh, orthodoxy of his own party. Um, and uh, you could imagine uh, a, a domestic agenda that was far more humane. Um, uh, not only did we see from the earliest days with the uh, Muslim ban that we probably weren't going to see a very humane domestic agenda, but um, everything we've seen since, um, including a budget that violates the promise to protect Medicaid, just like the health reform bill that the White House backs, violates the promise to protect Social Security. It would go after people with disabilities in particular, um, SNAP, formerly food stamps, and none of these cuts would really do uh, anything to uh, create good quality jobs and uh, offer people the flexibility and the um, sort of insurance mechanisms they need to be able to take time off. Uh, they might fall ill. You could have to take care of your kid or your parent or your love or your partner. You might um, uh, have a disability or injury or illness. Um, never mind uh, just you know giving birth. Um, and uh, unfortunately, what we're hearing on where there was some modest hope also for paid family leave sounds also really grossly insufficient. Um, so uh, in a lot of ways, uh, unless uh, you are in the top 1% and, and voted for the president, um, he's betraying what I think he ran on and uh, what uh, he communicated to um, his supporters and the American people. Um, with the Boston Tea Party, remember, it wasn't just don't tax us. It was essentially no taxation without representation. Um, they understood the value of taxes. Correct me if I'm wrong. There was a pretty concerted movement to reframe taxation. Probably for centuries, no one really wanted to pay their taxes. But the way you've described taxes as investments – um, and then in the last couple of decades, the discussion of tax relief has the connotation that relief, you're, you're getting relief from something bad. Yeah. Um, and that was pretty intentional, right? Yeah. And that's a great point. And I have to say that I think even oftentimes folks on the left feed into that. And there are a number of uh, sort of progressive tax bills that were called, you know, Tax Relief and Reform Act and um, I think it matters certainly how we talk about things um, and also just the confidence we give uh, to people and that uh, what their money is going for. I think if you ask people where their tax dollars go, they'd have a very little sense of the reality of it. Um, you know, by and large, people uh, see that they have some taxes deducted on their paychecks if they have paychecks. And um, especially uh, that's primarily for Social Security, Medi uh, Medicare. Um, and then, you know, we pay these income taxes. And I don't think people have a sense that take, for example, all the programs that essentially go to lower moderate income people, um, aside from health insurance, have been declining over time as a share of our spending. Uh, the entire defense budget is essentially um, equal to a greater, most years increasingly greater, uh, especially after the recent budget agreement, than all domestic sort of discretion, annual appropriations, discretionary spending. Um, so uh, I think if people had a better sense also of what their tax money was going for going to um, they might have a better sense of why it's worthwhile 
Um, there's always ways to be more efficient and to have savings in, in government, but health insurance is a perfect example. The government health insurance programs are all far more efficient by any measure, uh, than our private sector insurance programs. They do a far better job controlling costs and delivering, uh, comparable or nearly comparable care. Um, so if you cared about waste in the health sector, um, the last thing you would do is, um, shrink public health insurance programs. If anything, you might empower them, let them bargain more for cost uh, savings and reductions. And we can still have innovation and great medical research through investments in National Institutes of Health and other public institutions that really uh, are at the forefront and um, the reason why we have many of the medical breakthroughs we have. So what can we do now that, uh, you know, the March has passed and most of us um, are not tax policy experts? What levers of change are there for us in addition to marching to impact some of the issues that you're describing? Well, I think the first thing that anyone should do is um, try try to uh, learn just a little bit. If you've read a couple pages of careful, um, detailed analysis from a trusted source on it, you know more than most members who voted for the bill. And also, I'd say, look, it's really important to engage your members of Congress um, you might think that, oh, there's always been this one person in the seat or this seat has never changed hands where I live. Uh, my, my district has never changed hands since I've uh, been alive. But um, that doesn't really mean much anymore. I mean, the reality is sometimes you have wave elections and um, 60, 70 seats can change hands. And um, there are a lot of elections now where, um, you know, they split their there's sorry a lot of districts now in Congress where they split their vote for a, a presidential candidate of one party and a member of Congress of another. Um, so there's a lot that you can do to influence things there. I also um, you know would be remiss if I didn't emphasize the importance of local and state policy. Um, just take taxes. Um, state taxes are often uh, linked to federal taxes. Um, definitions are linked. Um, you know, if the federal government offers less support um, because it's not raising enough revenue and um, take, for example, the $880 billion in Medicaid cuts in the AHCA um, that would repeal the Affordable Care Act um, – that's going to be a huge hole in the budgets of state governments over time. Um, and uh, I think that there's a lot of uh, advocacy that can be done at the state and local level um, to influence and affect what happens in Washington and also certainly make sure that we have rational policies at um, all levels of government. And where does the tax march effort itself go from here? Are you all continuing to work together to uh, promote the issue? Yeah, so uh, I think, as I said earlier, I think uh, marches are as much uh, the beginning of something as they are the culmination these days. Um, organizing them is a lot of work, and there's a lot that goes into it, and it helps build a lot of relationships and alliances. Um, but um, uh, the reality is, in this sort of uh, digital age, um, they're much easier to organize than, say, the March on Jobs and Freedom and the Civil Rights Marches um, from about a half century ago. So what really matters is how you engage people afterwards, how, um, you know, you sort of bridge the grassroots and the uh, direct sort of policy uh, advocacy, how you um, start uh, educating people about issues so they're mobilized and can act when there's opportunities. And uh, so the tax march uh, is continuing to 
engage the uh, hundreds of thousands of people who um, you know, uh, get emails, follow it on Twitter, and through its partners, um, dozens of partners, uh, continue to uh, emphasize the importance of fairness and transparency. And as the specific debate on tax reform um, gets uh, more intense, uh, it will be engaged. Um, and right now, there has been certainly attention uh, to um, the uh, health reform bill, because as I mentioned, it is primarily a massive tax cut to pay, uh, paid for by uh, gutting health insurance for people. Uh, and your website is taxmarch.org. Uh, and you're on Twitter and Facebook. Yes. And you can also follow the Tax March Chicken on Twitter, um, which actually is quite active. Um, uh, and I think that's at Tax March Chicken. Uh, it, his name is Donnie. <laughs> that does it for this episode of The Resistors. Thanks for listening. And thanks so much to Indy and all the organizers of the Tax March. You can connect with them at taxmarch.org. You can also listen to more episodes of The Resistors on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. And if you know someone who should be a guest on a future episode, connect with us at theresistors.co.